This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 5, the Donovan McNabb episode. Any other good? I mean, there there have to be some other good number fives, right? I'm sure there are, but I'm guys, completely blanking on the spot right now. Five. Um, five. Sam, yeah, nothing's coming to mind. What about the Red Sox? I was just thinking there has to be. There's someone. I mean, again, I'm didn't know. Didn't Nomar wear number five? Yes, he did. Nomar Garcia Para. Why am I? Getting, why am I getting that before you? Because <laughs> uh, when he played, I was probably like. Five, six. Uh, I was about to say on John's old jokes already. <laughs> I remember him on the Dodgers. Like I don't even remember him playing for the Red Sox. Like I don't even think I was old enough to like remember that. I'm just gonna I mean, close out. Of, I'm just gonna close out of this right now and call it a day. I'm just go <laughs> sit in a corner and cry about how old. I've I never am. been good with numbers. I feel like it's one of that's one of the things you're either really good at or it's like not. I'm just not. I'm trying to think of other fives. I nothing's coming to mind. I mean, I think there's Donovan Nomar. I don't know. Hell of an opening here, guys. Anyway, that is that is Sam Cohn you're hearing along with Dante Colinelli. Happy to be back talking to all of you again. If you have not subscribed to the scoop already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you access your podcast, please do give us a rating and a review. It helps us uh, elevate the presence of Temple Sports Talk and uh, visibility on those platforms. Uh, we have a very very full. Mailbag this week, understandably so, after Temple's 61-14 to 14 eyesore of a season-opening loss up at Rutgers. We'll talk about that. We'll preview this week's game, uh, I guess the very definition of a get-right game for Temple at Akron. Again, we'll get to that very full mailbag and, and break this all down. Guys, you were there up in Piscataway. I was covering from afar. You guys had the... Eagles eye view of things, uh, th- this had it all. Uh, th- to me, I, I think this was worst case scenario for them. You, you, I don't think any of us were predicting that they were going to win this game, but you, you give up 61 points to a team that, and a program that you really want to say that you can recruit against regionally. You want to win some recruiting battles against them. You have won some recruiting battles against them in the past, and it's a Big Ten program. You want to recruit South Jersey and North Jersey, which they have so far, but you give up 61 points. The game got out of control really quickly. The guy who you're really, in, in, in large part, hitching your, your wagon to with this season, Dewan Mathis, is hurt. We don't know for how long. Rod Carey said on Monday that it's a week-to-week thing. He's hoping that it's one to two weeks instead of four to six. Quarterback gets hurt. You have to play Justin Lynch a lot sooner than you thought, and he looked very much like a guy – I can't remember if he's still 17 or just turned 18, but he's young nonetheless. Uh, he threw a pick six. He turned 18 during, he turned 18 during fall camp, so he is right. very much barely 18. Yeah, so he's 18 years old. Uh, David Martin Robinson, your tight end, who is going to be a big part of your passing game, is now out for at least a couple of months. Um, so he had injuries. The special teams miscues have, have not gone away. If anything, they've gotten worse. So this was uh, – 
this was pretty bad. Not too many good things to come out of it. Again, you guys saw it from uh, up in the press box, seeing the whole field. Dante, I'll, I'll start with you. What do you, I mean, I know it's the obvious statement. They got, they got trounced. They got embarrassed. They got routed. Break this down for me, guys. What, what did you see? What were the issues? I'll, I'll start on offense because that's a little bit easier to talk about. Um, this looked like a football team that did not practice offense for like a week. Like that, that's what they looked like. They looked like they hadn't played offense in a long time. I mean, it was just like when you watch enough football, you understand like the timing of things. Like timing was off from the first snap. Dewan Mathis rollout was delayed. He threw the ball off the wrong foot and it was a bad throw and it was incomplete. And it was like, that is a routine bread and butter play. You're already backed up. You missed that. You come back on the next play. Someone on the interior gets blown up. And they don't get any yardage there on that run. So they're still backed up. And then on the next play, I mean, you drop back pass with that quarterback after those first two plays, and it's a safety. And it's like, you know, I don't know if that was a protection breakdown. Mathis looked like he dropped his eyes really, really quickly. Like he looked downfield for maybe a second and then dropped his eyes. So like, I don't know if he was supposed to roll out on that play, if that was another sprint out or what that was supposed to be, but it just, it didn't look right. The timing looked bad from the start. And it really like on the two drives that they scored, it looked okay. But even like a couple of times, like Mathis turned the wrong way to fake a handoff or Sadie ran the wrong way. I don't know which one of them screwed up. That happened a couple of times. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of people on the message boards, a lot of people were replying to some of my tweets saying like, Oh, it's all on the offensive line. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they were good on Saturday. Nobody was good on Saturday. Um, Dewan Mathis was not good at managing the pocket either. He got himself sacked a couple of times as well. And I, I think that, you know, obviously that's a problem. Like this team just did not look prepared on, on offense. Like, I don't really know. I can't be nicer about it. Like they didn't look like they practiced any offense on the flip side of the ball defense. They were fine when they were given a shot, especially in that first half. They, um, they first, they forced four punts every time that Rutgers started on their own side of the field. And they only allowed like 40 yards. Now, when they were backed up because of an interception, because of a fumble or a bad, you know, a fumble on a kickoff return or a really good punt return. Yeah. They gave up some points. And I think it, in the second half, you saw that this was a tired football team. Rutgers really committed to the run game and they just ran down their throats and they couldn't stop them. Um, so I think you, you can cut the defense a little bit of slack, but also at the end of the day, Really bad tackling in the secondary. They only gave up like 140 passing yards. A lot of those came after the catch. Guys were missing on bubble screens. Bo Milton had that 40-yard touchdown where Keyshawn Paul, I mean, he tackled a ghost instead of the player. Like, it, you know, a lot of that yardage came. I mean, if you take that play out, right, Bo Milton gets six yards on that play. Uh, Rutgers throws for like 110 yards in this game. You know what I mean? Like it, It's just simple things like that. Um, we talked about the D line a lot during the preseason. Is that being like a problem? Uh, one quarterback, Harry, no sacks in this game. Now I understand Rutgers gets the ball out quickly, but like just no disruptive ability at all. You're not going to win football games like that. So you can cut the defense a little bit of slack. They weren't good either. I, I'm just I, like my thing rewatching the game after I wrote the instant analysis and like kind of reading that back is like, they just did not look prepared to play football on Saturday. Like, I don't know if it was, you know, confidence. I don't know if it was, you know, butterflies and they just got off on the wrong foot and it just snowballed because they're a young football team. I don't know what it was, but something was wrong from the start of the game and it just, it never got any better. Yeah. I mean, I was good defensively. I would, I would echo everything that Dante just said that it was uh, through and through just, 
as Rod Carey said after the game, it was about as badly as it could have played, as badly as that game could have gone. Um, defensively, I was going to say the same thing, that uh, essentially they were fine when Rutgers wasn't in extremely favorable field position. When they were starting on their own side of the field, they were able to at least contain Rutgers' offense uh, in spurts. And at least, you know, if they had more of those opportunities, if they weren't consistently put in bad field position, maybe Rutgers doesn't put up 60 points. Maybe it's a closer game. Uh, offensively, the only thing I would add is uh, to, to the lack of continuity that, that Dante had talked about, especially early on. And this is this was kind of the big, probably one of the bigger takeaways from the game. Uh, this isn't exactly the most original thought, but that when Dewan Mathis scored that touch, that second touchdown, uh, it looked like the offense was starting to get into a group. He had like a 30 yard ball on that drive there. I think it was a 38 yard uh, completion to, I want to say it was Jones. Jose Barbone, Randall was, Jones. Was, the one, was it the one to Randall? I think that was Randall. He dropped it right over. Yeah. I think the one Sam's talking about was the back shoulder on the fourth down though to Barbone. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So they had, a, they had a really nice, like 38 yard play uh, to Jose Barbone on the left side. And that was the kind of play where it's okay. That's it, it's that like that one play that gets a quarterback into a groove when he had not done any, when the hadn't done anything really spectacular all day. All you kind of need is that one play to kind of get into a groove and find some continuity offensively. That was kind of a, okay, now does that instill some confidence that things kind of turn the tide? They march down, they score the ball. And that's when it was a 12-point game. Uh, I think it was – was that late in the second quarter maybe? Um, it, was the and things, third, it was the opening drive of the third quarter, I think. Yeah, You're right. So like, er, so early second half, you're starting to think, okay, if, if he can stay healthy, if they can continue this, then maybe we have ourselves a ball game. I remember I texted you guys like after that – after that score somewhere on that drive that, you know, maybe we have ourselves a ball game in front of us, but him going down and having to make that change with, you know, Valenti taking one drive and then Justin Lynch uh, taking the reins the rest of the way, it just never felt like they were able to get back on track as an offense. And that as Rod Carey mentioned is, you know, we've talked about that. That was, that's what kept the defense on the field so much and they weren't able to get anything going and, from there, it was uh, – I kept thinking about – I think it was either last year or the year before that Anthony Russo had said something along the lines of when things get bad, they just continually get worse. They don't get better. And that was essentially what happened on Saturdays. They had a chance to work their way back. They put them – they dug themselves quite the hole to open the game. They just – once DeJuan Mathis went down, they dealt with injuries from DMR and Ed Sadie. They just weren't able to crawl back. They weren't able to find any, any success in that second half offensively, which in turn hurt their defense. So here's a, a pretty straightforward and pretty somber Rod Carey after the game, kind of aptly summing up how things went for the Owls on Saturday. Five turnovers in a game, short field, spot them 26 points. Um, defense is on the field way too long, and offensive execution wasn't very good. And a key critical special teams turnover, um, you know, coupled with six penalties in the game. Uh, you stir all that up in a pot and you boil it and you get what we got on uh, um, on Saturday, which wasn't very good. So for me, guys, one of the things that really stands out, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. And it as, as you're covering a game or like in the hours after the game, it, I mean, I've been covering this program for so long. You, you interact with so many different people, either played there, coached there, people who are close to the program. And what I hear routinely, which isn't a good thing, is and this might sound like rah-rah stuff to, to some people. And beyond like the, you know, the truly elite programs in the country, every team deals with this in some way, shape or form, but they eventually either shake loose of it or it consumes them. What I'm starting to hear 
and have been hearing. And, you know, last year you thought, okay, maybe, maybe possibly it's just a COVID thing, a once in a blue moon type of thing. But what, what you're hearing from people is I see no toughness. I see no identity. And a lot of that is reflected in, in special teams. And, you know, I mean, that temple tough thing, it is a thing, you know, I've talked to Deion Dawkins about this. I've talked to Tyler Matikevich about it. And he said, you know, we get into the league now and people are like, Oh, temple tough. Yeah. We know temple for that. And a lot of what Al Gold and Steve Adazio, Matt Rule, and to a certain extent, Jeff Collins had to do, really, it started with Golden, was teaching this program how to win. And how do you react to sudden change? And when something happens, is the sideline going to get down? Are you going to let this moment define you? Because that was really Temple football in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s. They would be playing really well against some team. I mean, some really good teams against in the Big East, and something would go wrong. And as soon as it went wrong, all hell broke loose. And that's what you're starting to see now in Rod Carey's second year and third year. You saw it in the bowl game against North Carolina. Granted, they were playing a, a North Carolina team that was well-coached by Mac Brown and had Sam Howell, a couple of future NFL running backs and some, some talent. But, I mean, this had, this had a lot of it on Saturday. And, again, at one point, this was a 12-point game in the third quarter. And then everything, uh, obviously, Dwan Mathis gets hurt, you know, Jordan McGee, you know, said uh, a player availability yesterday. He said, I felt like this. I feel like the sideline was a little bit down after Dewan got hurt, but everybody tried to keep everybody's emotions up. But I think it was pretty clear that once Dewan got hurt, Lynch comes in, throws that pick six. Again, he's put in a really tough position. I don't want to define his career off of that, but I think they, it really looked like they were just completely disenthused after that. But I, I want to play a couple of clips here back to back. The first one's from uh, Amir Tyler, their defensive captain, their sixth year safety. Uh, and then this other one from, from Jordan McGee, not the quote I just uh, read, but I want to play these two quotes back to back and then react to these. Marcus came out there and executed a game plan. They even did, we did, they didn't, they did less things than we thought they would do in a game plan. And they executed by being physical and having more effort. You know, effort always wins regardless of the misassignments. I feel like they just, they attacked it more. They just wanted it more uh, in the game and the outcome says it all. So I feel like, Next game, we gotta come out, attack, and do our jobs. Everybody gotta do their jobs. All right. So again, I know this this sounds really simple, but this is stuff you just you just don't want your guys saying after a game. You know, for for Amir Tyler to say, look, they actually did less than we thought they were gonna do offensively, and they just were more physical and they have more effort, and effort always wins. That really kind of just guts what what the program has really kind of stood for. And again, I really don't mean for that to sound like rah-rah BS. And again, teams go through this stuff, even back in 2015. Now it's a different time, different era. You know, Temple starts off 7-0. and they, they lost that, what would have been a real, real program defining when they lose 24-20 to Notre Dame on, on, you know, on Halloween, college game day, national game of the week. So I remember that following week, Matt Rule said it to a bunch of reporters, and I was talking to him about it on the side, too. He said, I am terrified about this game at SMU. It's a short week. We're playing on Friday. I don't think we're emotionally ready. I don't think we're physically ready. I don't think we're really in good shape. And I'm paraphrasing here. And, you know, he's like, I, we haven't been through something like this before. We've come off this high of a high, even though they lost to Notre Dame. And yeah, they weren't ready. Now, granted, they won that game 60 to 40. They won it in a shootout. The key was they found a way to win. Was it perfect? Was it pretty? No. 
Then a week later, they lose at USF. They get routed, but then they recovered to win their last two games. Uh, they lost to Houston in the in the conference championship game, lost to Toledo in the bowl game. So they had their hiccups there. So I, I don't want to imply that the program has been perfect before, but this is a lot of what the program had worked to eradicate in the past, like this you know, there is a toughness, there's an attitude, there's a way that this program reacts while the sudden change. And they were just, they were brutal with it. Granted, again, there was an injury, but as Dante really eloquently broke down and you did too, Sam, I mean, things were, were kind of going haywire from the get-go. And this is not last year when they're starting the season in October, where they're not sure if they can practice, if they have to lift and shifts, they just talked about, oh, we came off a great camp. Uh, you know, we got to get away for two weeks, focus on football, come back home. And um, I mean, another disappointing aspect for me too, granted, they started to kind of gel a little bit and play better, but you know, there's that, that stat out there that the offensive line has like the seventh most starts of any returning group in FBS and they look terrible from the get-go. So it's returning experience. I don't know how good of an experience it is. I mean, is there, you know, he never asked to be compared to Matt Hennessy, but it's very clear that CJ Perez is not Matt Hennessy. Joe Hooper had a bad game. Um, Dante, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is even just on that, on Ed Sadie's touchdown run. I don't know if three guys are supposed to come free there. He had to, he had to make three guys miss great cutback move gets into the, gets into the end zone. And even Ed Sadie said, I could have run better. Rod said he could have run better, but maybe one of the few bright spots there, he makes a move and he shows you something, but even on that run there, it didn't look like the, the blocking was all that great unless that is, something I'm not seeing and it's supposed to develop that way, but even there, it looked like there was a little bit of a jailbreak and he had to make a few guys miss. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think like on that play, right? Like they were blocking down the line. So there's probably going to be at least one dude there, mm-hmm. but three but is three, three is never the number that is supposed I to be anywhere. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, more than, more than one is typically an issue. I think with the line, I mean, I honestly expected them to be not, great in week one right like it's just not you know they they're gonna take some time that's how offensive line usually goes but like sometimes like you know there's a difference between okay we screwed up because we're bad at communicating and that's going to improve over time and we screwed up because the other team kicked our butt right like that there's a there's a line there and like look Rutgers has some dudes on the defensive front that are going to push for you know potential NFL draft picks guys who get signed in camp like they're no slouches it's not a terrible line but like you know Temple they're supposed to be competitive with those guys and like they really weren't you know what I mean like and Rutgers again good defense good line I get it's going to take time but you know I mean it's simple stuff Edward Sadie was getting met in the backfield way too early way too often uh, some of the pass rush was getting, you know, Mathis sacked himself a couple of times, but the line didn't really help him either. Like it was very much of both people having a problem there. So I don't know. I, I think that's a concern for sure. And, you know, I, I think Rod even said when they, when they were still at SUNY, like, you know, I don't know how much I count last year as good experience because it was just so weird for football. And, and maybe that's going to be a side effect. And we see that with the line is that, you know, some of the guys who played last year, maybe that experience just really isn't isn't going to help them too much. Yeah. We'll talk about, again, there's a ton to get into with special teams mistakes. We do, as I said, we have a pretty full mailbag and we do want to kind of go mailbag heavy here. We'll save more of the talk from this game uh, for the mailbag. We've got plenty of questions there. Uh, Again, a lot of special team stuff to get to. None of it's good. Uh, Let's talk about, like I said, what should be 
a get right game at Akron. Um, Dante was saying that, and we, we share our content on a couple of different Facebook groups to, to get it out to people. And one, you know, one reader had read Dante's instant analysis and said, is the, is the Akron game really a, a cupcake game? So I'll throw that question out to you guys. Uh, again, Akron was one and five last year. Doesn't look much better this year. They're, they're zero and one and coming off a, a sixty to ten loss at Auburn. They didn't score those ten points until late in the fourth quarter, and the game was very much out of reach. Also, um, excuse me, Auburn scored touchdowns on their first five possessions. So this was this was not a contest by any means. Uh, they play two quarterbacks, but they're they're a bad team too. But let me ask you guys this question too, and I'm not saying this to to be alarmist or just for just for good podcast dialogue. I mean this sincerely. What we saw of Dewan Mathis was a little shaky before he got hurt. Granted, it is an opener. We just discussed 90% of what went wrong. Unless Dewan Mathis really, really has a great recovery between now and Saturday, he's probably not playing. I understand that Akron's head coach had said, hey, I'm not leaving anything to the imagination. Maybe Mathis plays. I guess if I'm Temple, I'm, I'm hoping, if I'm Rod Carey and my stuff, I'm hoping that they can go out to Akron, run it down their throats, give him at least a week to, to, to get better and then maybe return for Boston College. But more than likely, you're going to be playing, like I said, an eight, like we just said, an 18-year-old true freshman, a quarterback who was clearly shaken up by the moment, a line that didn't look great, defense didn't look great. They were terrible in all three phases. Is this really a, a, a cupcake game, or or is Temple going to go out and do something similar the, to than what uh, similar to what uh, Auburn did against Akron? I think uh, it's hard to say any game's a cupcake game when a looking at kind of what happened last week. If, like, if they play against Akron the same way they played against Rutgers, it's hard to imagine that same team uh, beating Akron, especially on the road. Um, it's also hard to call anything a cupcake game when you're playing a true freshman 18 year old right. quarterback who has two quarters of experience. Uh, it's, it's hard to really give a, give a good idea or have a good sense of how he's going to perform. Does is Justin Lynch, the kind of kid that, you know, now that he has experienced live college football, that he's going to come back, you know, against Akron and suddenly be the Justin Lynch that, they, that the coaching staff is really excited about, or is, is he going to need a little bit more time to kind of understand things and kind of, uh, get a feel for the game. So I think it's hard to call it a cupcake game, but I would not hesitate to say that it's a game they should win uh, by any stretch of the imagination. All right. Here's why I said it's a cupcake game. And like, I, I totally get where Sam's coming from and you know what? Yeah, I am concerned, right? Because they just played terrible, but like Akron might be the worst, like one of the worst FBS schools that we have like Temple. Yeah, this is, this is supposed to be a cupcake game. Right. Like that's like, I know Temple didn't play well against Rutgers and I get that everyone thinks the sky is falling and that's fine. Maybe it is, but even if the sky is falling, you should still beat Akron by multiple scores. Like that's how bad Akron is. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't like, I don't think people have conceptualized that like Akron fans can get in my mentions. I'm not going to say that, but like they can get in my mentions if they want to, you guys have won one game in two years, man. Like this, this is supposed to be a cupcake game. Like, I'm sorry. Temple should be able to go out there and run the ball at will. I don't care who's at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Justin Lynch, honestly, he's got a little bit of juice in his legs. Maybe he doesn't really need to throw the ball very much, and they should be able to put up points. And the defense, if they give up more than, like, 20 points, that's a problem. Akron averaged, like, 14 points per game or something last year. Like, mm-hmm. I, I like even if the sky is falling – Temple should beat Akron by multiple scores. Like that, they're not they're not good. 
Um, but I, I, I understand the concern. Um, and I understand why people are at least a little bit worried, right? Because I mean, they just got shellacked, but you know, I, I don't, they need to beat Akron by multiple scores. This should be a cupcake game. If this is not a cupcake game and we were talking about this pre-show, like there are some serious, like fundamental questions that we need to ask about this football program. Yeah. And I think it's uh, not only do they, and I realize some of this can be subjective, but I think on Saturday you have to pay attention to a, do they win? And also how do they win? Because if this is like a 26, 23 overtime win and it's a win, I don't know that you can say, well, a win, a win is a win. I mean, I think you've got some, like, like you just said, Dante, some real serious questions to look at. And yes, I realize they're a young team. Rod has said they're a young team, but they do. They did return their entire starting offensive line. You return a six year player in Amir Tyler you did bring in a guy that was good enough to start Georgia's season opener at quarterback last year. I think the the young thing, it, in a in a good set of circumstances, yeah, maybe like we said, maybe they win six or seven games. You see some signs of progress, and then maybe they're a nine or ten win team next year, and you can say, hey, there was a progression to this thing. But I think the young thing only works for so long, and I'm not trying to put words in Rod Carey's mouth because again, he did not. He was very much not a coach after the game. who said, "Oh, I saw a lot of bright spots. People are going to pick us apart." But no, he was he was ticked, and that didn't change much on on Monday either. So I don't want to uh, miscast him and portray him to be the coach that was uh, trying to bright side a lot of this. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Dante. If they if they certainly if they lose this game, then I don't know what game is winnable for the schedule on the schedule um, the rest of the way out. I mean, they, they could be facing two quarterbacks, just like, just like Auburn did uh, DJ irons finished out the game. He led both of their scoring drives in the fourth quarter. He's built like Dewan math as he's six, six, 215 pounds. Um, so irons goes 13 of 13 for 129 yards. But again, he's doing that in the fourth quarter when, you know, I'm assuming I didn't watch the game, but I'm assuming he's, he's doing it against, against backups. Cato Nelson started the game. Didn't do much there. Um, they've, I don't know. I mean, there's, I, I can't look at any phase of this game and say that the Akron holds a distinct advantage here. I mean, they gave up 316 rushing yards. They have minus three rushing yards on 36 attempts. Now they gave up six sacks. So that contributes to that, but Temple's only a six and a half point favorite in this game. As of now, I mean, they have a Michigan transferred safety and Jalen Kelly Powell, AJ Watts is a decent corner, but I, I agree with you. I mean, if they, if they lose this game or they win it in eking it out fashion, I think you've got some, some big issues. I mean, is it as simple as that guys that you really, you you look at this and say, okay, this is a bad defensive front that we're facing. We need to make sure that, that, that Justin Lynch is as comfortable as he can be. Sure. You don't want to ignore your, your two best players on offense, two of your better players on offense and Randall Jones and Jaden blue and take them out of the game. Barbone's shown some flashes. I'm not saying you don't throw it, but is that the game plan? Let's run it, run it, run it, get him comfortable, get him, get Lynch himself running and just kind of do some harm reduction work here and just say, we're not going to force him to drop back 25, 30 times in this game. Is that the best? I mean, is it that simple just approaching it that way? I mean, Dante can probably answer better than I can, but I would imagine the game plan, especially if you're starting Justin Lynch, is to keep it on the ground early at the very least to get him kind of acclimated to that game because now he's not getting thrown into the fire. He's the guy on the first possession under center uh, taking those, you know, he's, he's starting. This is a whole different world than what he saw against Rutgers. It's a very different team than what he saw against Rutgers. So I would imagine 
And again, Dante can probably answer this better to what their game plan might be, but I would imagine they keep it on the ground more, especially if Ed Sadie is, which uh, we assume he is good to go yeah, against Akron. he's supposed to be good um, to go, I'm told, yeah. Uh, so I would imagine they look to Ed Sadie a lot, uh, especially early on, and then they'll definitely, I, I would imagine they at least test Justin Lynch's arm uh, if he feels he's ready for that. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think, and again, this kind of comes back to like, if Temple can't bully Akron in the running game, like you have a fundamental problem in the program. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't really know how to like sugarcoat that anymore. Like Akron, you know, they almost give up like 300 rushing yards per game last year. Auburn torched them. Obviously I know Auburn's an SEC team. I'm not expecting Temple to beat Auburn. I, I'm just saying like, if you can't go out there and bully ball Akron, like, that's a problem, man. Like you're doing something wrong. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like, you know, I know this offensive line isn't great, but they should be able to beat up Akron in the running game. And that's what I would do. I mean, Justin Lynch, the only time that he looked comfortable against Rutgers is when he was running with the ball. I mean, and this isn't really his fault and I don't really want to get on him too much, but like right. as a passer, like he just did not look like a collegiate passer. Like, I, I don't really like that's, and I don't know if we should expect him to be quite frankly, I don't think it's realistic to expect him to be great with his arm right now. It's not, I don't think it's fair to him. Um, that's so why I, think- I wanted to ask you about that too. I mean, and again, it is such a small, small, small sample size. And I think that, you know, maybe Rod will be a little bit more inclined to be harder on him because he's known him for a while and he's known his brother, Jordan Lynch for a while, but on those, I mean, obviously he really sailed the one that went for a pick six. He sailed another one and, and Randall Jones did not hide his frustration, did the whole like all shucks thing with his arms and uh, didn't love the body language there. Again, I'm, I'm not a football coach, but I think in that case, I think Randall Jones needs to go over to him and settle him down instead of kind of showing him up there, whether he meant to or not. But is that Dante just a case of like a, an 18 year old kid, not setting his feet, not doing what he's normally coached to do and getting overly excited. And uh, again, I know that there are, there are true freshman quarterbacks who come in and play really well right away and at different positions, but would it be wise to kind of hit the pause button there and say, okay, we can't really judge him right now because of the situation he was put in. Or when you say he didn't look like a collegiate passer, are you looking at him saying, he doesn't look like a collegiate passer at all, regardless of the situation. Or are you just saying uh, he looks like a guy that got thrown into the mix right away and we got to give him some time? Yeah, I think it's all situational. I'm sure Justin Lynch will turn out to be fine, right? Like I, this is not a death sentence to his career at all. That would be utterly ridiculous. I right. think it is very much just a product of the situation. I mean, I couldn't think of a worse spot for the kid to be put in for his first game, right? Like the Mathis finally gets the offense going. You just got within two scores. You're on the road against a team that's better than you. I know that they should have competed and that game should have been closer, but Rutgers is better than them. Let's be honest. Um, And, you know, he gets in there and he's got to go produce and it just, it didn't look like it was there. It didn't look like he was ready. And I, I don't know. And my pushback on that would be like, Okay, I don't know if it's fair to expect him to be ready, quite frankly. Um, You know, Sam said he, you know, he just turned 18 during fall camp. Like he just came in and I know he won that quarterback two job and I get that. But like, honestly, I that raises more questions about Real Mitchell and Mario Valenti Mm -hmm. to me than it does about Justin Lynch. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be completely honest. So um, I think it's all situational. I, I think Lynch can come out. I don't think he's going to be as bad as he was against Rutgers against Akron. I mean, that would be almost impossible. but. Um, I, I think that, again, 
expectations should be realistic for this player. He is 18 years old. He's a true freshman. He was not a five-star recruit either. This is not like a transcendent recruit that they just got. You know what I mean? Usually when we see like true freshman quarterbacks come in, they're like five stars from IMG. Like it's, that's not Justin Lynch. So have realistic expectations for the kid. Don't write him off either though. I have a quick question for you guys. So on Saturday, when Mathis went down, we saw one drive of Mariana Valenti. And, and then before Justin Lynch came in, Rod attributed that to just kind of, I think, John, you might have been the one to ask him about it. And Rod said something along the lines of like, that was a chance to just talk through things with Justin, give him a sec to like take a breather. And then it was all him because he's been listed as a number two quarterback. If against Akron on Saturday, either they start slow through a quarter and a half, he's turning the ball over. Maybe it's a one possession game. Maybe it's tied through a quarter and a half. Do you think there's a, there's a scenario where Rod says, let's, let's throw a Valenti out there and see what happens. Or do you think they ride with Justin Lynch as long as he's healthy? That's a great question, Sam. And it's, and it's a realistic possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that's, that is an unfortunate byproduct of this because yeah, you're already thinking about, and again, I don't, I would be lying if I said, I know, Justin Lynch really, really well in his mental makeup. But yeah, I mean, you have to, you are, as a head coach, you are charged with winning games. You have to win this one. Rod Carey knows that this could really get ugly if they don't win at Akron against a really bad team, as we've discussed. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you just say, I think for me, I think the answer would be how badly is he struggling? Is he struggling, but it's still a tie game. And you say, let's, let's let him work through this. But if they're if he's struggling to the tune of like you're down two touchdowns and, and Rod Carey and Mike Yaramovich say we cannot leave Akron with a loss, then yeah, I think you see, I think you see Valente in there. But then the the byproduct of that is you have the Yank Justin Lynch, a guy that you're really excited about, a guy that has grown up around your program and your and your offense, and even though he's young, he couldn't get it done at Akron. That's that's what kind of creeps in here, and we're talking about something that hasn't happened yet. But I think it's a it's a Interesting question to ponder. Yeah, I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to call for Justin Lynch's head. I don't want to call for his job to be taken. No. Again, two quarters into his collegiate career, but I think it's a legitimate question to say. You know, is there a possibility that they realize that, although they're very confident in the future of Justin Lynch, that uh, that the unfortunate happening that Dewan Mathis got hurt, uh, it put it puts him in a really tough position, and that maybe. Maybe they realize he's not ready, and maybe he is. Maybe he comes out against Akron and has a fantastic day against uh, uh, a defense that just flat out isn't very good, as Dante has mentioned. But if, if he comes out and he struggles, and I think there's legitimate concerns for them to say, like, maybe he's just not ready yet. Maybe he's not there yet, and maybe they have to look elsewhere. But I, it's, it's purely speculation at this point. It was just a thought. Dante, what do you do there? Let's say they fall behind 14 nothing and – Again, this is completely suppositional. I'm, I'm, I'm making this up. They fall behind 14 to nothing. Uh, Lynch starts off going 0 for 3. He, he, you know, fumbles the ball on a quarterback keeper, and he's struggling out of the gate. Do you, if you're the coach, do you say, we let him work through this, or do you just say, Mariano, you got to get out there and save us? I, you can't lose this football game. I, I think, John, you said that. Like, you can't lose. So, like, if Lynch is playing like crap, frankly, you got to go somewhere else, man. You cannot lose to Akron. Like you just can't. Like, I, I know that, you know, you don't want to hurt the kid's confidence. I know that they really like him, um, but you have to win this football game. You cannot lose to Akron. It, it just cannot happen. So I, they, if, 
if they're down by two scores, Lynch is a bunch of turnovers. You know, he looks the same way he did against Rutgers and the limited snaps that we saw. You got to go somewhere else. Or at least you got to try. I mean, you know, you can't just sit there and let Justin Lynch bleed you dry against a bad football team. So again, like it's very speculative. I, I think Lynch will be better against Rutgers. I mean, it, again, it would be almost impossible for him not to be, but um, I think if that does happen, and again, this is more speculative, like, for me, that raises an internal problem of how we're evaluating quarterbacks. Um, because at the end of the day, this was a player that you made quarterback too, right? And Rod Carey has been very, you know, rah-rah confident about Justin Lynch being quarterback too. I mean, if he comes out there and doesn't play well against Akron and this team falls behind early and they have to be saved or they lose that game, I mean, why was he quarterback? Like, I'm that's going to be a question that I'm going to have to ponder and sit there and be like, okay, like, did you make this kid quarterback too because he earned it? Or, you know, was this like, okay, we want him to be quarterback too because he's our guy. You know what I mean? Like you have to ask that question if Lynch does struggle, right? You, you have to, I don't know if it's, it's not fair to Lynch, um, but it is a question that we have to think about. So hopefully he comes out and he plays well, because that will be a significantly easier conversation to have. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's, like I said, we have a pretty full mailbag here and, and these mailbag questions will prompt some more conversation points mainly the the special teams screw ups that we saw last week and we'll get to that in a second the first question here is really uh a funny one i'm reading this to jhg722 has been a long time subscriber to al scoop my question is just why and that kind of sums up the the feeling of, of the of the fan base why did this happen uh jhg we're getting into it it's a complete breakdown of everything but uh yeah, not much else to get into there. Again, I'm sure the sentiment there is how did it get this bad? We're in the midst of uh, describing that and trying to hit all angles of it. Uh, the, the next question here, uh, again, these are coming from screen names from our Scoop subscribers on the message board, the football message board. Next question here comes from the username JeffMD49. Question is for a veteran offensive line, why were they so bad? Can Carry compete in the AAC or is he overmatched? So. We talked about this offensive line. Why were they so bad? I, I do think, and again, I'll, I'll react to this, and I want you guys to chime in here as well. I, I do think that they did start to gel a little bit more. They started to get into a little bit more of a rhythm. As Dante said, some of that can be common in an opener. They, they were starting to move. I think they were even starting to use a little bit more tempo. That's another thing I wanted to ask you guys about. You think they come out Saturday, maybe go with some no huddle, try to bring more tempo into what they're doing. I don't think that I think this offensive line, I don't think they're I don't think they're terrible, but I also think that just because they returned all five of their starters doesn't mean that they're automatically great either. I think that they are um, I think that Adam Klein might be the best player in that group, but that's not to say that he played really well either. I just hope for Temple's case, you know, Rod Carey has said that when they came in, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, that they identified offensive line as kind of he kind of implied that like it was a blind spot for the previous staff that they maybe didn't recruit as heavily to the offensive line as they had. So you really have to hope now that these next, this next phase of guys like Jim Tuobadegu, who they were happy about. Uh, and I think he might be a little dinged up, not that he was going to play or start right away, but guys like him, Bryce Toman, who they talked about in camp, Sam Davis, Jermaine Donaldson, um, you know, some of these younger offensive line recruits, you better hope that they can play. And maybe this is more of what you're looking for because some of the stopgap guys that, that, that we're looking at here, like, like Joseph Hooper, 
again, CJ Prez, I, I just don't know. I think they're kind of an average offensive line that could get better, but um, I think they were so bad at, for at the beginning because it was like Dante said, some opening season jitters, but I also don't think that we should be setting the bar so high and thinking that they're going to be one of the best lines in the conference. I just, I just don't know that they are, maybe they'll prove me wrong, but uh, I want to hear what you guys uh, have to say about that. And then we'll get to the second part of his question. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said, John. And I think when I talked about it earlier, I, you know, kind of covered it. I, I just think that like, they're going to get a little bit better. They'll gel and, and things will get better. But at the end of the day, um, their ceiling is relatively capped. You know, like, I don't think that this is going to be a line that's just going to go out there and dominate. It's just not, it's not going to happen. They don't have the players for it. They don't have the the muscle for it. I, I honestly, like, you know, offensive line is a physical position. You need guys who are going to bully, you know, not only in run blocking and pass protection. Um, if you listen to a lot of guys talk about offensive line, they say pass protection is not passive. Like you have to be aggressive in pass protection too. And like, I just don't think the temple has those guys. They need to get to a point where the offensive line isn't a liability. That's where they need to get to. And they weren't there on Saturday. We'll see if it gets there against Akron. But um, I, I, I agree with you, John. I, I don't think that this is ever going to be one of the top lines in the conference, at least not this year. But they can be good enough where it's not a complete hindrance to this offense. Yeah, I wouldn't say I have anything substantial to add other than the fact that, uh, I mean, if you're looking at this team from an outside perspective, an offensive line returning four out of five of its starters, it's at least a little bit concerning that, like, an offensive line that was really solid last year, led the conference in fewest sacks per game, uh, you would think kind of comes back in some similar form. But as Dante mentioned, it's the kind of thing where offensive lines take time, uh, you know, from game one to game two. But it's a kind of, it's, it's kind of just a wait and see at this point to, to which direction they go in. Cause it definitely wasn't a, a strong start for them. And the second part of the question is, can Rod Carey compete in the American athletic conference? Was he overmatched? Well, I think he proved that in, in year one that he could, they went eight and four again, lost the bowl game. I'm not going to rake him over the coals for losing a bowl game, because if you rake him over the coals for, coals for losing a bowl game, then you have to rake Matt rule, a current NFL head coach over the coals for losing a bowl game. There are a lot of different variables that go into it. Um, it, it kind of starts bleeding into that territory. And I hate, I hate getting into this because, you know, you still have to coach the guys up. And, and now fans, I think, are saying, well, he went eight and four in that first year with Jeff Collins' players and Matt Rule's players. Yes, the majority of that team was recruited by the previous two coaches, but you still have to come in and press the right buttons and, and coach these guys up. And, you know, you had former temple player saying, Hey, Walter Stewart's a great defensive line coach. Tyler Yelk is the best secondary coach I've had. And you have guys like Emir Tyler saying that. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take that away from these guys. So I, I think he has proved that he can compete in the American. I think maybe the bigger question is can Rod carry in the staff bounce back from a once in a lifetime stew of crap circumstances with COVID and injuries and just poor play. Can you bounce back from that, get back to a five, six win threshold and prove to people that you have this thing headed in the right direction? I don't know the answer to that question right now. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I, I always hate these types of questions. Like, right. can this coach compete in the conference? Like, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, like um, I, I would say this, I think that this year specifically, I think is a big year given the way that it started, right? Like you, we've talked about this a bunch. I think 
We talked about this in the preseason a lot. Um, you got to show something this year, right? Because this is very much Rod Carey's team. And I agree with John. I don't really love going back and saying, well, that was Jeff Collins' team that they went eight and four with or whatever. I don't really like saying that either. But at the end of the day, it kind of was. And this is very much Rod Carey's team. This is all of the guys that he recruited from the transfer portal in big spots and starting. This is a lot of the young guys that his staff brought in in big spots playing big time snaps. So at the end of the day, yeah, this season is a little bit more of an indictment on Rod Carey as a head coach than his first season was, quite frankly. There was a ton of pros when he was here at, at the end of the day, and those guys aren't here anymore. And it's, it's now this is year two. So again, I, I don't think that this is a, a death sentence unless things like really snowball out of control and they lose, you know, Saturday and they finish the season with like two or three wins. But I think Carey can compete in the American. I, I really, that's not something that I'm, you know, really thinking about. I just think this season is going to show, he needs to show progress this year with this group of guys because they're his group. Yeah, I'd be hard-pressed to just blatantly say, no, Rod Carey can't compete in the American. That, that seems like too blanket of a statement to make at this point uh, in his tenure. You guys mentioned, I mean, that's an eight-win team in his first year with a team that largely wasn't that largely wasn't made up of his recruits. Year two was, was what it was. John, you called it a stew of crap circumstances. Uh, year three, at the very least, is an important year for him. I think as Dante mentioned before, to just show something. This is, uh, I think, Kyle found this number is about it's about 60% his roster recruited by his guys recruited by his staff at the very least you have to show something and show that you're moving in the right direction if Temple wins three games I think you maybe hit the panic button I think you start to question you start to raise more questions if Temple wins eight games which seems a bit unrealistic at least at this point uh then the fan base is extremely happy. I, I don't think you, you don't think you can have many qualms with that. But if there are four, five, six wins, like if they're a four or five win team, you can at least say they're moving in the right direction. They're coming off a one win, a one win year. If they can get four or five wins, they're at least moving in that direction. I don't think anyone's expecting Temple to be a top of the conference team this year. But again, to go back, they have to show something. Rod Carey has to show something with this roster that is largely his construction that shows that the program is moving in the right direction. All right, so next uh, round of questions here comes from uh, the screen name TJ Clark. We'll get to a few of these. Uh, appreciate all the questions, TJ. We'll get to uh, as many of these as we can, maybe not all of them. First question, do you think Rutgers was looking to run up the score? I don't. No, I think Temple was just was that bad. I, I agree that Shiano uh, did have some of the starters in there in the fourth quarter, but whatever. I don't think he was looking to run the score up. What is the status of Ed Sadie and can we run the ball against Akron to give Lynch a fighting chance if he plays? Uh, we said this earlier. Yes, Ed Sadie is expected to play. Yes, he did come out of that game. Uh, should Temple can can Temple run the ball against Akron to give Lynch a fighting chance if he plays? Yes, we just talked about that. I, I think that's the, the the smart play. They they should be able to, as Dante said. If they can't, they've got some bigger questions to answer. Did the corners play decent, or is Rutgers QB? that bad talking about Noah Vedro. What do you, what do you guys think of that? I'm going to have some thoughts on that, but uh, how would you respond to that question? Uh, I think both of those statements are true. Mm -hmm. I think Temple's corners were okay. And yeah. I also think Noah Vedro's bad. Um, so it's kind of a, uh, a double yes there. I, I think that coverage wise, they were fine. Now the thing with Rutgers is they don't really test you on like real passing concepts. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of like, short stick routes and you know drag routes and bubble screens 
I don't think Akron's really going to test them either. So we might not see this secondary get a real test of like covering down the field against pro style concepts until the home opener against BC. Um, but I thought they were fine in coverage. Like they did their job. If they had tackled a little bit better, I, they really would have been fine. Um, but Noah Vedral's not good throwing the ball. Like mm-hmm. he's just not. So I, I don't think that that, you know, don't come out of this thinking that the secondary is great, but they definitely performed better than a lot of the other defensive guys on Saturday. So I, I guess there's some silver lining there. Yeah. And I think when they were backed up early, I think you saw Cam Ruiz compete pretty well. Again, I mean, they really, Keyshawn Paul is going to be obviously remembered in this game for completely whiffing on Bo Melton on that catch and run, turns it into a 40-yard touchdown. Other than that, they really didn't get burned uh, that badly, and they were fine. Again, I agree that Noah Vadral, I think if moving forward, if Greg Schiano has a blind spot in that program right now, it's at, it's at quarterback. Uh, I think they're, they're in pretty good shape defensively. They've got some playmakers on offense, but yeah, Noah Vedrill's not a great player. Very much the definition of a game manager. Uh, I agree with you, Dante. I think they're, I think they were decent. Uh, wouldn't call them an elite secondary, but I thought they played fairly well considering the circumstances minus obviously that with tackle. Is there any positive news on the recruiting front? Woodrow Wilson kids. We have two of the area's best high school coaches on our side. How quickly can Preston Brown make a difference? All right. Well, glad you brought this up, TJ, because again, people have been talking about this on our message boards. So Temple for the next two years cannot recruit anybody out of Woodrow Wilson High School because Preston Brown was the head coach there. So they cannot, and they can't recruit anybody out of Wilson for the next two years because Preston's in an off the field role. He's a director of player development. They can recruit and take guys from St. Joe's prep because Gabe Infante is in an on the field role as the running backs coach. That's the difference. I think they took Preston knowing that this was kind of a long-term investment. Now, if I don't know what happens with any staff movement, let's say that they do end up winning six or seven games and the staff sticks around and maybe somebody leaves. Maybe does, does Rod bump uh, Preston into an on the field role? Maybe, but for the next two years, they can't recruit any Woodrow Wilson kids. This was more so a long-term investment into like really trying to get a uh, reestablish your stronghold in South Jersey. Uh, but now they can't take any kids from Woodrow Wilson for the next two years. And again, there were two guys who recently committed. I'm blanking on their names. I answered this question on the board. Two guys who recently decommitted from Maryland that Temple can't touch because one's from Wilson. Another had just recently transferred to Camden, but had been at Wilson before and Preston had worked out both of them. So um, he is a very highly regarded, regarded guy. I had a chance to go on a YouTube show last week with Harry Mays who was formerly at 97.5, the Fanatic and Barrett Brooks. A lot of you know who Barrett Brooks is, former Eagles left tackle, not left tackle. I think he played right tackle. Offensive lineman played for the Eagles, won a Super Bowl with the Steelers, does Eagles postgame live with Michael Barkan, Ray Dinger, Seth Joyner. And uh, Barrett was talking to me about how highly he thinks of Preston because he's had a chance to, to be, I think, a volunteer coach at Wilson. So Barrett knows football, speaks very highly of Preston. I think Preston will have a positive impact on this, on this program just can't take kids from Wilson for the next couple of years. Any positive news on the recruiting front? I mean, they've, they've got five verbals in so far that, that they obviously, they obviously like, I think that again, they cannot comment on anybody on the record until these guys sign a letter of intent. They, I'm assuming that they feel like they have one of their backs that they can build around in the future. And Sam Martin, Dante's talked to him, Makai Green, is a guy that you might see 
you know, if he reminds anybody of, of past Temple recruits, he's a guy that you jump on early. And if he blows up in the fall, you hope that you can just hold on to him. He's, he's 5'10", 170 pounds, plays up at West Orange High School up in central North Jersey. Could be a slot back, could be a, a, a running back. You know, they have five verbals. Now, they did lose a couple of guys. Jaden Wetterburn committed to Princeton on the offensive line. Uh, I was a little surprised to see him lose Steve Domboski to Delaware. That is a, you know, Dante, you talked to Domboski, played up at Pascac, plays at Pascac Valley uh, up in North Jersey where James Delapasca played. They had him in for that recruiting barbecue a few weeks ago, and I thought he was going to commit, and he didn't. Um, I think he was considering some Ivies, but he committed to Delaware. Good FCS program, but ugh, my humble opinion, you shouldn't be losing recruiting battles to, to Delaware, but we'll see. I mean, obviously, they're going to, at the end of the day, they're going to have more than five verbals. How many verbals they take from high school versus how many do they take from the transfer portal? We'll see. Um, again, I think they've got some good guys in the mix here. You know, you have Reese Clark from St. Joe's Prep. Again, you have to hold on to all these guys. Kyle Lewis was a good get for them. But it's five verbals so far. Again, these guys have not signed national letters of intent just yet. But I think we mentioned this in a previous podcast so far. It's five verbals from that more classic recruiting footprint that Temple had uh, had looked at before. Uh, next question here comes from TU Owls fan 2004 is a screen name. I know this episode might be a little uh, heavier, so I'll try to keep it light. Favorite fall activity, not football, and favorite fall food. Sam and Dante, I got you the script earlier. I know you guys are busy, but I, I expect some some forethought on this, some 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 good answers, some some good some good banter and dialogue here. What do you have? I can go first. Um, you go first, Sam. Okay. Favorite, off here. favorite fall activity, favorite fall food. This is we've had this is similar conversation uh, last year. Comes up every time we talk about Graham and the fall and his food, his horrendous food takes. Terrible uh, food takes. I will say my favorite non-football fall activity, uh, and I am a diehard believer in this. So Dante, since you're new to the pod, if you believe otherwise, you will not be on next week's episode that Thanksgiving is a spectacular holiday. And anyone who thinks otherwise is dead to me. Um, I am a firm believer. So I would say my, my favorite fall activity is, uh, is going up to New York with my family, uh, and spending Thanksgiving with them. And, um, it's uh, my aunt and uncle have a place in upstate New York that is kind of like in the sticks and it's nice to get away for um, two days in the fall. So spending Thanksgiving with my family kind of in the middle of nowhere and then favorite fall food. This is like an all around, like a year round comfort food, but it's more prevalent. I think in the fall, I would say is like, I always think about mashed potatoes with Thanksgiving, uh, all the food that comes with Thanksgiving and Turkey and pie and all that good stuff is probably my favorite fall food. That I would say is the first thing that comes to mind. I'll let Dante tell you about his fall scouting, but and his big his draft board in the fall is his favorite activity. Yeah, um, maybe, if, he you know, fall, if he has a fall draft board that's non-football related, I would love to see it, and I think that would just be delightful. I would. I need. I would need a little bit more time to do that one. Uh, it is tough for me to pick my non-favorite football like fall activity because like all I do during the fall is football uh, at this point, but. Uh, when I am at home, I live really, really close to a state park. And uh, when all the leaves turn really like turn colors, it's like really cool to like walk through there. Uh, so I, I do that a lot in the fall. So I'd say that's a big one for me. I also really like fall weather. 
Uh, it's like a very good temperature. So like being outside, even though like I do spend a lot of time in Florida, it, you know, fall temperature is still nice up here. So that would be mine. And then, so I don't know, I'm a really big like pie person and um, I think pumpkin pie is very good from the fall. Uh, so that might be my favorite specific fall food. Is apple pie summer or is that fall? Uh, I think that's fall, right? I think that's a great right. question. I think I, most, uh, yeah, pie is a fall one. food. All right. Well, I would I'm, say pie I'll, is a I'll fall. Do any pie. pie is a fall food. Okay, I would any think, pie yeah, is I mean, a fall food. I, I would think like, I can't think of too many pies that I would think of that would be like a summer pie, maybe like a key lime pie or, um, I've, I've occasionally in my lifetime seen a blueberry pie at like a 4th of July cookout or, or something like that. But yeah, mostly, I think most, most pies would be a fall food, right? Yeah. Cause I think at like apples are generally a fall food, like going apple picking another great fall, like another you know, nice fall activity. Uh, that's just kind of associated with fall. So I would should say record, yeah. we should record outside next week, wear, wear flannel shirts, hope that the, the weather cooperates and we'll just we'll make this just very zen very fall well, in all right now that we're fall technically starts at the end of september now that we're near the fall mm-hmm. we can postpone our owl scoop barbecue and have an owl scoop apple picking afternoon like a sunday no not sunday not saturday either friday afternoon yes we'll, as a crew we'll all go apple picking and record uh record, we'll vlog it couldn't you see, and, and again, the Al Scoop family extends to like people who used to work at Al Scoop. I, couldn't you see Kyle and Graham just arguing, having some sort of insufferable argument over how to pick the right apple? I could. I could see Kyle throwing apples at Graham. <laughs> 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 Graham trying to take pictures and a video of all of us and Kyle throwing apples at him. Yeah, Graham <laughs> telling an in some sort of Instagram story about it and Kyle just telling him to focus and be present in the moment. And... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I I do. I, I agree with you, Dante. I like fall weather. I love summer weather. But after a while, I kind of get sick of the humidity. I, I, um, I mean, I don't do it anymore, but I miss I actually miss, um, you know, right after college, I, I worked at the Daily Journal in, in New Jersey, worked for Gannett. Uh, it was fun to cover high school football on a Friday night and the temperature gets a little cooler. You smell like the, the, the grill smells of, of like a concession stand. I realize that's football related. But I, I it, the weather made me think of it. But I like outdoor dining in the fall. Um, over the the holiday weekend, uh, my wife and I got the chance. They are they are not a sponsor of the podcast by any means, but I'm giving them a, a free plug here. Rosalie and in, in Wayne is an incredible Italian restaurant. I miss, and again, we only live like a half hour outside the city. We're in Havertown. We're not that far away, but. I miss all the Italian restaurants on East Pass Young Avenue and all the great places in Philly, but Rosalie and Wayne, phenomenal meal, about as good a meal as I've had uh, in the United States of America, outside of Italy. Terrific, terrific restaurant. can't recommend it enough. We sat outside. The weather was nice, kind of, you know, not super, not super chilly, not super hot, but the, the weather was perfect. So I, I definitely like that. Any sort of just outdoor dining uh, I like. Uh, so good question there. Now here we get to the special team stuff. Next question comes from the, the screen name Cool Hand Red. 2020 special teams play was horrific. Why hasn't the special teams play improved? Is it coaching or the personnel? And how do we get this corrected? Why has the hasn't the special teams play improved? Is it coaching or the personnel? Don't think I'm breaking any news here. I, I think it's both. 
you know, when you send and, and Rod Carey said as much, my one thing is this, you know, and I asked him after the game on Saturday, how do you fix the special team stuff? And there were several miscues to look at on Saturday and let's review them. I mean, one of them is they sent two players with number 39 out there in Connor Noble and George Reed. That's not their fault. Now, granted, usually one guy out there, you see him and he's looking at, do we have 11 players on the field? Is he looking at the numbers? But that's, that's a coaching thing. As Rod Carey said, that's a coaching thing in the middle of the week, whether that's a GA screwing that up or whether that's Brett Dearson screwing it up, that's a mistake. They had the, the illegal formation play where I think they had five guys in the backfield. At that point, the game's out of reach, I realize, but you punt the ball, they go down, and I think it was Tavon Rule, he tackled Aaron Crookshank. That's a win. You know, it doesn't win you the game, but it's something. Not a flag, re-kick it, boom. He brings it back. What, that was like his 45-yard return or, or something like that? Um, and even on the on the, the equipment malfunction one with, with, with Reed and, uh, and Noble on the field, that bumped them up, what, 15, 17 yards, something like that, and improved their field position there. Um, I mean, Adam Barry punted better, but he was being pressured. They still do nothing in the return game. I think even on that first punt, in fairness to Jaden Blue, we didn't get the chance to ask him about this. So I am not, I don't know what his logic was, but even on that first punt, could he have let that go and bounce out of the end zone instead of taking it? I or no, actually, actually that punt was down, right? That punt was down at the one. Could he have fielded that? They're not doing anything well on special teams, other than the fact that that Adam Barry is a much improved punter than what you saw two seasons ago. Coaching has to be part of it. And after the game, I asked Amir Tyler this question and he said, it has to be a next man up thing. And if not, we're going to, you know, we're going to get people in there uh, who can get it done, but let's look at some of the guys that are playing special teams right here. Amir Tyler was one of four starters who play on the special teams units. George Reed was there. Keyshawn Paul was there. We mentioned him before, the transfer from UConn. And Deshaun Winston, who they were raving about. Now, Deshaun Winston also left the game. We didn't get an update on him. You've got four stars. He's, on special we, teams. we did get an update on him. Just real quick to cut you off. He's okay. day to day. Oh, he is day to day. Okay. Air quotes, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you've got four starters in the mix there. And then some other guys who you would hope to be excited about, like MJ Griffin, Alex Odom, Elijah Clark, Jordan McGee, Mohim McCargo. Dante, Sam, again, you guys were there. I know that the covering football is a live game. There's so many different aspects that you can look at. We don't get the benefit of watching film right away after the game. Like the, the coaches do, we can go back and rewatch it, but why are they so, again, a couple of returns, they did go down and make the play, but why are, why have they been so poor at setting up returns and covering returns? And why isn't it getting better? Because I know I would imagine that the coaches are probably saying, yes, Ed Foley left. He's not here anymore, but they're just going to keep hearing about it. And again, it's a, it's a, it's an overall thing. It's a whole coaching staff thing, but it's going to keep getting brought up until they correct it. And again, it's still brutal. And it was a big part of why they lost on Saturday. What did, what did you guys see? Why do you think they're just so bad at both ends covering kicks, fielding, returning? It's just, it, it has not gotten better. I think the easy one to knock out is why they're bad at returning kicks because they aren't trying to return them. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you watch the game, right? Like the Rutgers punter is a rugby style kicker. So he's trying to kick the ball and, and he wants it to roll. And like, they just let it bounce like four, mm -hmm. five times. 
And like Jaden Blue was like really, really close. The Rutgers kicker kicked it over his head a couple of times. Again, like shouldn't he be shouldn't he be coached to again? I know that every situation is different, but it even looked like he misjudged a couple of those punts. I mean, I was always taught in listening to coaches, if you see a rugby style punter, you don't jump forward right away. You wait to see what he's going to do first, and you might have to back up so you can feel the ball cleanly in front of you. And it just seemed like he was caught flat-footed a couple of times, and they knew going into the game that he was a rugby-style kicker. And it just – he didn't look great there. Yeah, I mean, see, I like I don't know if that's him or if that was coaching. Like, right. they told him, let the ball bounce. Like, if they did, very weird. Not sure why they would do that. If Jaden did it on his own, not a good decision. So, like, I don't know who is to blame there, but somebody is. Uh, on kickoff, right? You know, you put Fox back there. He's a player that you really like. I didn't even he mention that. Yeah. He fumbled. And and that, that was really, that was like when the game got out of hand because Rutgers yes. had just scored. They came back, they got that. And then they scored again. Like after that, the game was over, right? Like the, the you know, I know Temple got it back to 12 at one point, but like, you know, not realistic to have them come back from even that deficit, frankly. So I, I mean, on return they're just they're not trying like and the coaches have told us this this is not me projecting like rod carey has said in in the past like we're just we're gonna fair catch the ball and the offense is gonna go out there right like that's what they're doing on the flip side on kick coverage they're they don't look disciplined to me and again like special teams is a little bit of a blind spot for me as a scout i don't like first of all i'm not 100 sure special teams tape exists because if it does, I don't have any. So, I, I mean, you know, it's tough to watch sometimes, but like... You ever think there's maybe a conspiracy in the scouting community against you? It's like, we're the maybe. one thing we're not going to give this guy. He's got we a great future, me. but we don't, want look at, we don't want him looking at special teams tape. It's just, yeah. just frustrate him. They don't want me to, they don't want me to watch kickers. They're, they're afraid of what I'll say. But um, <laughs> I think that, you know, I, they just look undisciplined to me. Like they don't look like they're in their lanes. They don't look like they're, they're uh, coming to balance as a tackler, uh, you know, just like very simple stuff. I don't know if that's a byproduct of guys who are young or if it's a byproduct of guys who don't want to be playing on special teams. Maybe it's a mentality thing. Um, I don't know. At the end of the day, like you said, John, like until they fix it, they're going to keep getting questions about it because special teams was a strength of this football program for a long time across a couple of head coaches too. You know, it wasn't just, you know, that was a Matt rule thing. And the second he left, they were bad. Like, no, Jeff Collins's special teams were pretty good. You know, they made mm -hmm. some plays on special teams. So, um, I don't know. I, they're not trying to return kicks. So that's an easy one on kickoff for, on coverage. They're not tackling. They, they look undisciplined. That's coaching to me. So I, I, I don't know if that gets fixed or not. Mm -hmm. I'm Dante summed that up pretty well. It seems it's a strong mix of coaching and personnel and depending on how you look at it. But at the end of the day, if they're not, if they're not trying to make that a priority, if they're, I mean, we have a question later that uh, says that they're just kind of punting on special teams, no pun intended. Uh, if that, if that's their mindset, then that's, they're, they're not trying to win. They're trying not to lose in that facet of the game. And you can't win football games playing like that at any juncture. I think we maybe we talked about this. I, everything blurs together. Dante, I can't remember if we were talking about this apart from the podcast or we were talking about on the pod last week. I think that there may be even some SEC teams that don't really prioritize special teams in terms of like really trying to go after the kicker or really trying to set up returns. But, I mean, if you can afford to do that, great. I mean, Temple is is – one of those programs that needs to, especially now, 
could really start to develop depth on special teams, can affect games on special teams. Um, well, Sam, Sam has to run to class in a, in a second. So I'll, I'll uh, zip ahead to this question, if you don't mind, in the mailbag. Um, one of the questions here from the screen name, Temple J, what is the mood of undergrads on campus towards sports? That's a very good you question. You guys are, you do professional level work. You are still seniors in college. You live on campus, around campus. You are college students. What is the mood of undergrads on campus towards sports? I, that's a good question uh, because I've actually had this conversation more recently just because a lot of my friends like know, don't know what I do, but like have a general understanding of what I do that I'm around the, that like we cover the program, we're around the program a lot. And a lot of them, I got a lot of, oof, Sam, like that wasn't good. Like, you know, what happened? Or uh, I've gotten a number of, well, how's the basketball team going to look? Like, are they going to be any better? Or is this going to turn around anytime soon? Or like what went wrong? So I think it's not, it's hard to say that it's like a, it's a panic. It's hard to say that there's like, they're giving up. I mean, there are, if you look at, um, there are like temple student run, uh, Instagram pages where the comments are flooded with fire rod carry and calling for heads to roll. And, you know, this was a joke of a game for a joke of a program. I think that when you, the average student, uh, like the way they look at it is very short-sighted in terms of they played Rutgers, a team they were likely not going to beat in the first place. Um, but I would say the mood to, to get, to give a general answer to the mood of undergrads. I think it's, uh, it's, it's near that point of like, if this, is this going to be our, is this going to be Temple's entire season? Is this going to be what we're going to endure for the next 11 games? Uh, is this the kind of thing where we're just looking ahead to basketball? Cause I've gotten a lot of questions of like, is this a team that's going to improve? Is this something that I should even pay attention to? And is basketball going to be any better? That that's the best answer I can give is, uh, is, is when, when I talk to any of my friends, any people in any circles and undergrads about this, the question is always, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Is there a brighter future or is this the crapshoot that we're going to see for the rest of the year? Fonte, what do you think? Yeah, I would echo that. I think what Sam said at the end is like, you know, what I worry about a lot with the, with the student fan base is like, if this team is like, I mean, if, if they're just going to be bad, like people don't already care that much, quite frankly, like this is not a like ravenous group of student fans. Like, you know, there are some that are very dedicated and they care. And I'm not saying that there are none, but generally speaking, I mean, like, you know, it's not the biggest thing on campus. It's not something that people are generally talking about. So, you know, this one, you know, bad loss to Rutgers, I would imagine is going to turn a lot of people off like very immediately. And that's already a small group of people. Um, so it's a little bit concerning. And I think people are already asking Sam about basketball kind of shows you that they're already moving off. And I, I don't know if they're going to come back, frankly. And again, like this is not like, you know, football and Temple sports is like not a huge part of the culture here for the undergrads. It's, it's really just not, you know, like I, I don't, um, I don't really know what else to say about that. Like it, it never, not in my experience, at least. Yeah. I would just echo like the most, what probably the most important thing that Dante said is when you look at the undergrad fan base, Temple students see Temple athletics and they compare it to their home friends who went to Penn state or their home friends that went to Clemson and they see the culture of the sport there and that's the comparison they're making, whether they should, whether that's fair, that's, that's the comparison they're going to make because that's what they know. That's what they see on TV. So it's, it's a line between 
should we care enough? Is this going to get any better? Or is this something that, because uh, I mean, Dante said it uh, eloquently that there are students that care about this stuff and students that really pay attention and students that are like, yeah, I'll go to a tailgate. Uh, but for the most part, it's, it's, uh, it's the question of, are they going to be good or should I not care? Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the simplest way we can put it. Interesting. Good stuff, Sam. Go do your Learn. best work in class. We'll, uh, we'll see you. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, I'll see you before then, obviously, but uh, uh, have a good night. Uh, let's go back to a few of the other mailbag questions here to close things out. Uh, we have a few from the screen name 215 Temple Tough. Kind of covered this one already. Number one, when will Carrie finally admit that special teams are important and they need a real coach dedicated to that group? They do have a coach dedicated to that group. We aren't a good enough team to just just punt, no pun intended, in one of three facets of the game and expect to win. Again, we already talked about that. Yeah, they they have, you know, Brett Dearson is their special teams coordinator. It is a group effort. Again, uh, I don't know what else to say at this point. They, they've said that things aren't good enough. You know, Amir Tyler had said, yeah, it's going to be a next man up thing. They could There could be some personnel changes. We'll, we'll see this week who they have out there. Are they going to have more starters out there? Are they going to have different starters out there? Are there going to be some other guys on, on coverage units? We'll, we'll see again. I don't think that, that Rutgers is going to be, excuse me, Akron is going to be any sort of great litmus test for special teams, but they, they have to play better, but yeah, it, again, bottom line is they're going to keep hearing about it until, until it gets better. Why they aren't more aggressive on special teams. I, I don't know. Question number two, what can we realistically expect out of the quarterback position in Lynch now that Mathis is out a couple of weeks? Will the playbook be as open to Lynch as it was expected to be with Mathis? Again, another thing we kind of already covered, I would imagine that they'll probably try to make this more run heavy, but it is, it is an interesting question to ponder because again, Justin Lynch, as we said, knows this offense pretty well, probably allowed him to be the second quarterback. Although Dante, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't, we don't want to make, uh, you know, Mariano Valente or Real Mitchell out to be, you know, Justin Fields or, or, you know, or, you know, Trey Lance or, you know, anybody like that. But yeah, I mean, did they, did they shoehorn Lynch into this, into this position because they like him? Now he has, he knows that playbook pretty well, better than the average freshman who comes in because he's grown up around that offense we did already say we expect them to be a little bit more run heavy to try to set them up for success, but let's say they do start having some success. Do you think they continue to open the playbook for them to say, Hey, well, let's see what we can do here. Do you balance out? Like how much of the playbook do you want to open versus like, let's just be conservative and get out of here with a win. What are you expecting to see from them when it comes to play calling on, on Saturday? I know we've touched on it a little bit already, but if you were to kind of take it a step farther, what do you think? Right. I, I think you, you did a good job mentioning, right? Like Lynch grew up in this offense. Like he knows this offense. So as far as like a, a function from a functional standpoint, there should be nothing in the playbook that's off limits, functionally speaking, right? Like you should feel like, okay, you know, he, if I call this play, he's going to know what it is. And I know that that sounds obvious, but that typically is not the case for an 18 year old true freshman quarterback, right? You don't typically have that familiarity with the offense as a young player. Well, Lynch has that. So functionally speaking, there should not be anything off the table for Temple. Now, on the field, right, do you trust him to make some of the throws that they were asking Dewan Mathis to make? I don't know if I do, frankly. Um, We'll see if they do. I don't know. I think what we'll probably see is he'll have to earn it early in the game. Does he execute the opening script? How do they look on the first 
10 to 12 plays. I think Mike Removich said it last year, they script out the first 13 plays of the game. I might be wrong. It might be 12 or 15. I don't remember, but it's somewhere in that vicinity. How does he look on that script? How does he execute the plays that they practice all week? If he does well in that area, yeah, you start to trust him more. Maybe you open it up a little bit. If he struggles in that area, maybe you reel it in. I think it's going to be very much a wait and see case, but you know, as far as him knowing the offense, I would hope that, you know, they feel comfortable calling any play to this quarterback because he he should know the offense. He should know the formations. That should not be the problem. It's whether or not he's capable of making the plays is, is really the question. Question number three, the last of the three questions here from 215 Temple Tough from the message board. Give fans some hope on what we can realistically expect the rest of the season from this team. After that embarrassment against the bottom of the pack, Big Ten team, I am worried a lot of TV sets are going to be turned off after the first quarter of a lot of games this year. Uh, realistically, if if you're looking for me to give you some hope, I say, okay, you could feel hopeful if they go out again this Saturday, they go out to Akron, not only win, but win like they should win. Factoring everything in, you, you are without David Martin Robinson, you're without your starting quarterback, you win by a couple of scores, you look, you clearly look like the better team, and you start to see some signs of growth out of, out of Justin Lynch, whether he manages the game, gets him into other run formations, maybe makes a couple good throws, and maybe the following week, you go out, now obviously if you go out and you beat BC in a couple of weeks, now you can say, okay, we're, we're back in business, they had a pretty good, they had a pretty good ACC season last year they've got some talent another game where you've got some storylines there Chris Banks comes back Isaiah Graham Mobley comes back uh the athletic director Pat Kraft comes back but um not that he's playing in the game but um I think if you come out of Akron with a win a solid win like you clearly look like the better team you're very competitive against Boston College and then you, you beat Wagner and you do what you're supposed to do against Wagner and you, and you dust yourself off and say, okay, maybe we were, we were without our starting quarterback for a couple of weeks. We're two and two. We've seen some growth heading into Memphis. That's about as much hope as I can give you right now without looking way farther down the line. That's my answer to that question. Dante, what do you think? I agree with you. I think the, the interesting thing about this, right, is, Temple, right, they get blown out by Rutgers. We did not expect them to win that game, right? Like, I know that everyone's upset, and I get that. You should be. They did not play well. But, like, you know, we didn't think that they would win that game regardless, right? Whether the score was 61-14 to or 24-21, to obviously it matters, but it's still an L. We expected that to be an L. So if they come out of the first four games at 2-2, and no matter – obviously you'd like to see them beat BC – um, but we don't expect them to win that game either. I don't think they're going to win that football game, even with a healthy Dewan Mathis. Now, obviously, yes, you want to see them come out and compete. You don't want to see another blowout. I get that. But at the end of the day, my my uh, hope for your, for the fans is that, like, if they come out two and two, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day how they got there per se. We because we expected them to be two and two regardless. Right. Like I I didn't expect them to beat Rutgers. I did not expect them to beat BC. I do think that they have to beat Akron and Wagner, obviously. So if they come out of this two and two, you're where you were going to be probably anyway. So you can kind of, like you said, dust yourself off and be like, all right, at least we took care of business. We won the games that we were supposed to win. Maybe they weren't the prettiest. Maybe we're a little bit beat up, but you know what? We were probably going to be two and two coming out of non-conference play, regardless of, 
Dewan Mathis's health. I, I don't think they were going to beat BC anyway. So that is what I would say is the silver lining is that you're probably going to go two and two no matter what. Now you get to conference play. Obviously you'd much rather be a two and two team that competed against BC that competed against Rutgers. I get that, but you know, two and two is two and two and you can get to conference play with the record that you were supposed to have. You're okay. You're fine. You can build off of that and at least say, all right, we took care of business. But as far as the rest of the season, again, I did not have high expectations for this team this year. So like, you know, I, for me, this is a six, seven win football team. Obviously they didn't look like a six, seven win football team on Saturday. So there's, there's concern, but the hope I would offer is that you should still be two and two going into conference play. And the other thing I'll add too, is that, and I don't even know if this properly answers the question, but I would say I can give you hope if this kind of harkens back to something we talked about before. And again, it probably sounds like a defeatist attitude. I get it. What fan doesn't want Temple to go run the table the rest of the way and go 11 and one fans deserve wins. Um, but we're, it's our job to be settled, be as, as objective as we can possibly be and be fair. I, I think you could be hopeful if you see development. Like if, if Dewan Mathis comes back in a couple of weeks and you see a guy that whose footwork, whose footwork looks better, his throws look better, you know, if you start to see, ooh, you know, Ed Sadie looks like he could be closer to the truth here than we think. Yeah, like his footwork is good. That one cut move he made, that wasn't just a one-time thing. He looks pretty good. Trey Blair got a few more carries. We're starting to see something out of him. Um, this offensive line, I think Isaac Moore, Joseph Hooper, CJ Perez, you know, Michael Neese, they are what they are. I think you're looking for another stage of development from Adam Klein. I think if you start to see some of um, the younger linebackers playing better now, I, I don't think uh, again, Dante, you saw it in more detail than I did. I actually think that, that, that Will Quenku was actually for a guy who we kind of tend to describe as like average ability, average speed. I don't think he was a huge problem for them on Saturday. I think he looked like a veteran player that they need him to be, but I think you need to see if you want more hope, Okay, Deshaun Winston looks better. Um, that the Camarouise and Keyshawn Paul have to play better. And you could say at least the staff knows what they're doing when they look at the portal. And you gotta hope that someone on that defensive line emerges, whether it's a Leighton Jordan, whether it's Will Rogers. Will Rogers jumped off sides, I think, at least once in that game. If I start to see some discernible signs of progress, even if they aren't coming in wins, then maybe you've got some sign for hope. Right now, you're not looking at much of anything it's one week i get why opinions are down but that's again what i could say you should be looking for if you're looking for signs of hope uh two more questions here one from the screen named tiger al thoughts on the american athletic conference future post cincinnati ucf and houston's departure that is assuming that the big 12 might be looking to pluck Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. Here, I can add one thing off the top because this just happened while we were recording. Cincinnati is officially, they're out. They're going to Big 12. That happened about 30 minutes ago. Wow, so okay. it is it is starting. Yeah. Uh, they're they're going to submit a bid and the Big 12 is going to vote on it. That happened mm -hmm. like 30 minutes ago. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a blow for Temple for football and for basketball. Um, you know, Daniel Skillings, I know we're not talking basketball here, but let's talk about it now. Daniel Skillings, a guy that you're, you know, if Temple has one or maybe two scholarships to give to the 2022 class, here's a guy who you'd love to get from Roman Catholic. He was just on an official visit to Cincinnati and Cincinnati staff can essentially say, hey, you're a Big 12 recruit now. Um, so, you know, it's not good for Temple. 
Um, if UCF leaves and Houston leaves, now you're losing the Orlando market. You're losing the, you know, the, the Houston TV market. I, I don't know. Somebody else said this on our message board. You know, again, maybe we could be looking at a situation in the future where there's no such thing as the Power Five. It's the SEC, some sort of alliance, and everything else. And you know, maybe it's a twelve. It's a twelve-team playoff in the future with six conference champs, six at larges. Maybe that's the best that Temple can hope for. The bigger concern is what happens the next time TV deals are done. You know, you're going to lose TV revenue. I, I don't know that the American would get the same TV deal with Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. That that has long-term implications for the you know for the future of, of the of the program and where you see yourself. And um, I haven't met Jason Wingard yet, Temple's new president. Um, he obviously has to come in and hire a new athletic director. I think we said this last week. You don't just hire a new athletic director and the and the new AD comes in and says, "Hey, President Wingard, I got us into the ACC or I got us in the Big 12. Doesn't work that way. I don't know what the new president and the new athletic director can discernibly do at this point. I, I don't know if it's if it's too late for Temple to really get a foothold or a stronghold when it comes to conference realignment. Again, they hold the Philly market. That should matter. But again, anytime I think I know something in conference realignment, it goes the other way. The Big East thing was weird. Um, but I, I don't know who the American looks to, to get. Uh, but again, you're looking at like, well, if you lose those three teams, it's like, are you going out and scraping more teams from other leagues? And it's just looking more like Conference USA again. It's concerning stuff. Does does the American get completely poached and dissolved and Temple tries to latch on somewhere else? I honestly don't know. But again, as Dante just said, you know, since he's gone, um, not great, you know, and I don't I don't know what's I don't know what's done in the future. I don't have any again, especially with conference realignment. I really not. I try not to report anything unless I have it really, really solidly. I don't know. Again, I get it. If you're a Temple fan right now, you're not feeling too great. Your football team just lost 61 to 14. The American could potentially be poached. You are hoping that the basketball program is going to be better than what it was, but yeah, you're not feeling too great right now. <laughs> and I, and I get that. Yeah. No, and, and I just want to like clarify, like that is not like me reporting. That was from like Cincinnati.com. So like, right, right. <laughs> that is like not me reporting that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, I don't want to be too, I mean, I didn't even think we'd get this far, right? Like when the Oklahoma, Texas leaving the big 12 stuff came out, I thought it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then they're in the SEC now. And like that moved really quickly. And, you know, we saw last week, right? Like the big 12 is going for, they want to add BYU, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati. Those are the four targets that they want to add. And if they get them, I mean, I, I don't know where you, what you do if you're the American. I mean, what are you going to do? Go poach the Mac? I mean, you're going to add Buffalo. I, I you know, like, I, I don't know, like, you know, are you going to get coastal Carolina from the Sun Belt? Like, I, I don't even like Appalachian state, like those are the types of teams that you'd have to be poaching. And, you know, like you said, right. Like this is also like a monetary thing, right? Like for me, it's like very much like football, right? Like I think, Oh, you know, Buffalo is an okay school. That wouldn't be a terrible get, but like, how much do you care about the Buffalo TV market? You know, how many, you know, you're not going to replace, that Orlando TV market, you're not it's like you're not going to be able to poach a team that is going to replace that from another conference. So I don't know where it leaves Temple. I think the biggest concern is less about you know conference realignment per se, and the fact that like the athletic department doesn't really have a leader right now. Like frankly, like no offense to Fran Dunphy, great guy, he was a good basketball coach. He's not an athletic director. He, he's not like, and I don't like want to make it sound like I'm going after him. I'm not. It's not his fault. You know what I mean? Like it's just. 
they don't seem like they have a plan. Like this is the, this is, could be, you know, arguably like the worst possible time Mm -hmm. to not have an athletic director. You have NIL that just debuted. Temple doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like they have much going on there. And we've got like major conference realignment happening where like, you know, the big 12 was like probably going to dissolve if they didn't get those four teams to come. And we already see one coming. So like, they're trying to save their own conference and like temple athletic department is leaderless. And I'm not saying it's anybody's fault, but it's the reality of the situation that they're in. So I don't know. I I understand why people are concerned. And honestly, I think you should be, I think you should be concerned because this stuff is happening really 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 quickly and like every day it's another team that's leaving it's another team that you know could be looking to shake loose you know we just had the alliance sign the sec is going to be some you know just a monster monster conference with some like some of the best programs across the board in the entire country so i don't know where temple fits in i really don't it's it's a little bit concerning even to me yeah it's really kind of temple memphis usf uh, you know, for basketball, Wichita, you're kind of, you're looking around and saying, all right. And Memphis is, I don't know what Memphis's plans are, but they, they've, they've got a ton of juice with basketball right now. They've had some recent juice with football in terms of um, having success there sending as Temple has sending a lot of players to the, to the NFL with Antonio Gibson, Kenneth Gainwell and the like, I don't know. I don't know what direction it's heading in. We know that Cincinnati's leaving. And again, I don't know what a new president, a new athletic director can do right now. It's a whole lot of unknowns, but yeah, I understand why there's concern there. Um, Last question along those lines. uh, The screen name is the UK and PA. Uh, The question is where on earth is Mike Oresco? I don't know. I mean, again, he's the, for those of you who don't know, Mike Resco is the commissioner of the American athletic conference. When they hired him, uh, I guess they thought it would be a good move because he's a former TV executive. Um, I think that I guess he was wise to do so. Let's not forget who was it a few weeks ago or a month ago, there were these unsubstantiated reports and rumors coming out that the American felt good about being able to poach teams from the big 12. Had that been true? Temple looks like it's in pretty good shape, but now it's the other way around. I think at the time, Mike Oresco denied that and said something to the effect of like, we're happy with what we have. I don't know. I don't know what Mike Oresco has up his sleeve. He's always happy to, to, you know, talk to reporters and make himself available with that question. I don't, uh, I don't want to imply that Mike Oresco tries to duck reporters or anything like that, but where on earth is Mike Oresco? What's he thinking right now? I don't know. I guess that's why these guys get paid pretty good money to figure this stuff out. But yeah, he's got some, he's got a tall task on his hands right now. And uh, I don't know, again, I know we're really ending this podcast on a, on a down note, 61 to 14 loss, starting quarterbacks hurt conference realignment is happening, not in Temple's favor right now. So uh, I just took some papers and stacked them like I'm on a closing out a newscast, but yeah. Not not great stuff. Hopefully Temple and, and for their, you know, for you know, for their sake, hopefully they can turn things around against Akron. But yeah, a lot of uphill stuff to, to look at right now. We'll uh see how all this develops. But again, uh big thank you to, to Dante and Sam for being with me again this week. Um we'll uh, we'll be getting the band back together, I guess, next Saturday. We'll most of us will be at uh Temple Boston College at the link, eating some uh some cookies, maybe some cheesesteaks. Uh, things will get crazy anyway thanks for being with us again this week and uh, have a great weekend we'll talk to you next week